From earaches to strep tests, there's MinuteClinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. first two parts of this beloved little monster, I've tried to paint a picture of Montreal that is a little rough around the edges. Uh, Diane Thibault was known to hang out with a rough crowd uh, on the main in Montreal. Uh, Carole Dupont was a stripper, a, a topless dancer who wound up dead in a snowbank uh, north of Montreal. So these are somewhat different than some of the cases we were talking about earlier, where we had low-risk women falling uh, into trouble at the hands of uh, who knows what in a, in, in a mixed-up environment known as Montreal in 1974-75. This is Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Alor, and this is Intro to Loco, Part 3. Trying to find a way to bridge the gap between these two eras, the early 70s and the late 70s, culminating um, with probably one of the most violent eras of stranger homicide in, uh, in Montreal, 1977. Um, and I think I found my case because in 1976, along came Debbie Buck.
on Monday, November 22nd, 1976, at around 9.45 a.m. at the Montreal Institute of Legislative Medicine, I performed an autopsy on the body of a woman named Deborah Shirley Buck, aged 18 and residing at the address below mentioned. We finished the autopsy at 4.15 p.m. on the same day. The autopsy was done at the express request of Vincent Drouin, coroner of St. Eustache. Summary information. Body of a young woman naked in a vacant field in the Maribel area. This is the body of an 18-year-old woman endowed with good physical condition, measuring 5 foot 5 inches and weighing 125 pounds. The body is well preserved. The body is bare, covered only with personal items. A black scarf and pale blue scarf tied loosely around the neck. Nylon stockings. A white metal bracelet. A silver metal ring. Two small rings. A ring in metal with white pearl. A metal band and one white stone. Tiny little diamonds. A chain bracelet. A chain bracelet with ovals. A metal chain with very fine links. Charms attached to the chains. A metal stone. A cross in ten carat gold. Metal earrings. A small gold ring in ten carat gold. A horseshoe in gilded metal. Like so many of these cases, um, I, with this one in particular, I am again relying on um, information from Christian Gravner's uh, Montreal site, Coolopolis. And remember last week when we were talking about uh, Diane Thibault? Recall uh, Diane ended up in a vacant lot in downtown Montreal, uh, murdered with... Um, sticks, wood, a rock stuffed in her vagina. Well, when I was reading the Thibault uh, excerpt from Coolopolis, I left out one key sentence. Um, that expert on uh, Thibault begins like this. Buck was not the only dead woman found dead with a tree branch stuffed in her vagina. So, I've known the case of Debbie Buck for a, quite a while now. It, it's, again, one of those cases like uh, Carol Dupont that when I went to the archives of uh, Allo Police, Photo Police, there was a file on Buck and, and I um, took photos of it uh, and... Um, for years, I've not talked about it. I've not. It just seemed different. For one thing, uh, Buck was shot um, and abandoned in uh, Mirabel. Uh, Mirabel is quite north of Montreal. It's it's uh, like in this, every, the Montreal airport is Pierre Elliott Trudeau Airport is the downtown airport. But around the time of like the great expansion in uh, in in Montreal, you know, Montreal had its share of white elephants. It had its share of successes. 
I mean, certainly Expo 67, the World's Fair, was a big deal and kind of like the world's introduction to Montreal culture. And, and then, you know, you know, what do you do for an encore um, Mayor Drapeau, you know, in addition to building this marvelous subway system, the Metro and and all this decides to host this 76 Olympics, which, you know, almost he leverages, you know, mortgages half the city in order to to pull this thing off. And, you know, white elephants like, you know, the Olympic Stadium and uh, the Olympic Village in Montreal. I think the Olympic Stadium was was just the debt on that was just paid off r relatively recently successes as, as well like uh, habitat um uh, kind of cubicle structure uh, famous in montreal but you know in, in order to um uh, transport all these people that were going to be coming into the city uh you had to build a second airport so the idea was to build an international airport uh, in Maribel, north of Montreal. And that would be the international airport. And the downtown airport would be more for domestic North American flights. Well, the thing, uh, pardon a bad pun, but it never really took off. Maribel was functional for a while and then it was abandoned. I think they, um, somebody filmed a zombie movie there when it was abandoned and then eventually it was raised. But um, um, I digress. Uh, Debbie Buck was left in a field in in Mirabelle, probably I, I would imagine at the time of construction. Um, otherwise, why you know why go to Mirabelle unless maybe you had some kind of connection to to Mirabelle? Maybe you worked there as a in construction, something like that. <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, so I've known this case, and as I said, I haven't written about it, but um, then it was brought to my attention that within the course of, uh, like, le less than a year, or a little over a year, two women were found in Montreal um, with uh, what what is known in the psychopathy uh, as uh, foreign object insertion. Um and uh, this, uh, we are not unfamiliar with this. If you recall, the, there is one other uh, victim we've talked about with um, uh, such a dynamic, um, such a signature, and uh, that is Louise Cameron, who some uh, it was it was said that she was it was said that she was found with a carjack in her vagina. Now that's not quite true. She was found with nothing in her vagina, but the damage done to her 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 vagina was such that people speculated that someone had inserted a a carjack. Now this brings to mind all kinds of um graphic nastiness um to which I would say I would further refine that in, in, in looking at the case over the years and reading about it, I would speculate that what happened was somebody used the handle from a carjack to mutilate Louise Cameron. And I would further speculate that they knew this because the offender probably disposed of the weapon at the scene of the crime. And that's how all this um, carjack business started. But then it, this story got attenuated and, and twisted uh, kind of out of control. But again, 
I digress. Um, perhaps what we should do right now is uh, talk a little bit about Debbie. And I think the best way to frame that um, would be to to read some excerpts from uh, Christian Gravner's uh, post. Um, and he did this quite a while ago. I think he wrote about Debbie as far back as 2010. He says, Debbie Buck, uh, Murder in Mirabel. Debbie Buck's murder in a field in Mirabel, November 19th, 1976, has never been solved. It was one of those terrible, depressing stories from Montreal in the 70s of which there seems no shortage. I'm posting about it because it would be nice to see the killer apprehended. Her callous and unspeakable unnecessary murder was the same, in the same vein of that of Debbie Fisher or Sharon Pryor. Um, Debbie r ran, ran away from home when she was uh, put in a foster home when she was 13 um, and ended up allegedly becoming the lover of a 30-year-old uh, black man from Nova Scotia named Bobby Waterman who worked uh, at the CN. The CN is the Canadian National Railway. So Bobby Waterman worked for the Canadian Railway. He was said to at times be charming and kind, but uh, theirs was also at times a, a temp tempestuous relationship. Uh, there was some discord uh, eventually, and it's been suggested that she had left him within days of her murder um, but apparently the boyfriend, Bobby Waterman, was not considered a suspect by the police. Debbie was tall, pretty, had white skin in spite of her black roots, which she identified with. She always wore skirts, often long leather gloves and scarves, never pants. She did some modeling and never drank, her only vice being an occasional toke of marijuana, which there seemed to be plenty um, in the home, which uh, was provided for by Bobby Waterman in uh, Ville-Saint-Laurent. Ville um, so when she was found in a field with a bullet hole in her skull and a branch stuffed inside her, it wasn't entirely clear why this would have happened. Police believe she was killed while buying a bag of marijuana Apparently, she might have wanted to resell some marijuana to fund her new life. Police might have believed it to be a drug burn. Now, so much to discuss here. It's kind of hard to know where to begin. But um, the first thing I'll say is, um, so I've, I've wanted to do a, a story on uh, Debbie Buck probably since the first of the year. Um, and it's gotten sidetracked. Um, in, in some ways, I've needed to tell everything else first in order to get to, to Debbie, in order to have it have some cohesion. So there's that. Um, the other thing I'll say is um, there, there's a lot of fear in the Montreal area around this case. A lot of people very uh, um, uh, nervous, anxious, um, uh, unsettled um, about implicating somebody or saying something wrong or, or, or getting into trouble or being in danger. And, um, you, you know, to partially address that, what I'll say is this. Um, the, the, the boyfriend that Debbie was uh, living with, 30, he was actually 33 at the time, Bobby Waterman. Bobby Waterman is dead. Bobby Waterman died around 2009 at the age of 65. So there's there's that to begin with. 
Um, so the, the second thing I'll say, just in, in channels I've moved around and some more information I know about Bobby Waterman is he may have been trying to reform his, his life, but it's alleged that he was a former pimp uh, and a drug dealer years before he started working for the Canadian National Railway. Um, and he apparently allegedly told Debbie that if he if if she ever tried to take their one year old uh, daughter away, he was going to kill her. And just weeks before that prophecy sort of came true and, and Debbie was trying to break up with him uh, just weeks before she died, um, um, uh, he, he found out she was trying to get away. And apparently she he choked her so badly um, that she had, you know, black bruises around her eyes and, and around her around her neck. Um, so that's, uh, that's Mr. Uh, 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 Bobby Waterman. And so that's, it's, um, so then we sort of come to this idea of the alleged drug deal gone wrong, which, uh, is asinine. Uh, okay. So let me, let me kind of piece this out. So you're carrying like a, a dime bag of pot, which is in the seventies. I can't, Imagine, you know, what that's 20, 30, 40 bucks, something like that. So in order to get the pot and maybe whatever, you know, uh, minuscule amount of, of money Debbie was carrying with her, because she's not affluent by any means, uh, you, you, um, you, you steal all this stuff. Um, and she's living in Cartierville on the island of Montreal. But you drive, you manage to drive all the way up to Maribel. You dump the body. Um, uh, covered in jewelry, 10 carat, you know, stones and pearls and necklaces. And, and you take the 20 or $30 worth of, of stuff, but you don't take any of the jewelry. This makes absolutely no sense to me. It does make sense to me that somebody might have made, tried to make it look like a drug deal gone bad. Um, and the police went for it. That that makes total sense to me. But the idea that she was the the victim of uh, a drug deal gone wrong, again, is 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 some of the stupidest logic I think I've I've ever heard in the sixty one podcasts we've done here so far. The other thing I need to address a, a little more deeply. Um, I can't believe I said that. Anyway, um, is this uh, notion that, that the signature of foreign ob- object insertion, and uh, it, it, it's uh, one of the reasons was the, why uh, the other reason this has taken so long. Initially, I wanted to have uh, uh, Mike Arnfield do some work around that uh, with possibly his students at Western Ontario University. He was very, very excited about doing that. He was excited about the case. But, of course, he got bogged down in other things because Michael's so busy. I then went to Sasha Reed, who became very excited about the notion of doing this. Um, however, what first was going to be uh, some opinions on the notion. I think now she's working on a, a, a research paper on the, the topic because she's so fascinated with it. And it is fascinating. Um, and that paper is now 13, 14 pages long. And it's in a draft form. And I really can't discuss it. So there's... There's that. But I, I will tell you this. There's, there is much controversy and not much consensus around the notion of, 
of foreign object insertion. I mean, it's almost as uh, unpredictable as this idea of organized and disorganized uh, homicide, which, um, you know, it seems like every decade the pendulum swims, swings and someone has a, you know, a different notion that, you know, that is true or it's not true. Uh, I know the criminologist uh, Eric Beauregard, you know, finds, you know, I think at first was suspicious, but then uh, endorsed it. And, and the same is true for foreign object in, in search. And you're, I mean, I think your first instinct is like, wow, that's rare. That, you know, that is the weirdest signature in the world. That must rarely happen. No, it happens actually all the time. Uh, it's not rare at all. Although, as I said, there's, you know, there's different people who have different notions about this. But just um, for some some stats around it, apparently uh, some some guy from the University of Pretoria, um, South Africa, actually did a research paper on this. I think he did his thesis on this topic, um, and and came up with a sample. It's it's not a very uh, representative sample. It's about seventeen people, but um, he did a paper around this, and some of the uh, some of his findings um, are, are quite striking. Um, what he's found is that in in the cases he sampled of uh, uh, foreign object insertion, they they have the following in common. Uh, to begin with, uh, most of these victims are strangled. Um, they have wounds around the head and the neck. Uh, the object inserted is most often a stick or a branch. Uh, most are not raped, uh, but there's usually a semen um, on the scene or at the body. They're found on their back. The upper body is clothed. They're found outdoors, found in the city, and usually the murder is linked to other murders. At this point, I might um, go into detail and specifics about um, Debbie Buck's autopsy report, which I, I do have, I do possess, and start to, to, to really uh, go into the details there. However, um, I'm going to do the Sarté du Québec a solid, and I'm not going to do that. And um, to explain that, I have to go into give you some details of something that happened this week. So Buck's case is a Sarté du Québec case uh, because she was found in Mirabelle. At time, you know, Mirabelle was by no means incorporated anything. Uh, so it's it falls to the hands of the Quebec Provincial Police. Now, uh, as I think I told you, the um, um, my my guy uh, Mark Lepin was the head of the Sûreté de Québec's cold case bureau um, from its inception, um, but um, he left, and uh, I was uh, in a bit of a dilemma with who my handler was going to be. The guy I had been dealing with, uh, Sylvain Benjamin, uh, we um, we got we got hot with each other. It was not going well, but. Um, you know, I, I said to uh, Mark before he left, I said, I, you know, I think I just need to put that aside and we need to find a way to get along. So um, uh, Sylvain um, phoned me three times last week. Uh, and, you know, when they're calling you three times that they must want something. So finally, um, um, uh, we <coughs> we managed to connect um, on my way to work uh, this week. Uh, which is interesting. He, he phones me and I'm driving to work and he said, 
you know, he was nice. He was really nice. It was a good, it was a good reintroduction. And he says, how are you? I said, I'm really, really busy. He said, oh, oh yeah, you know, yeah, you, you must, you must work full time on this, uh, and your website. And I said, I said, no, it only, it only appears like I work on this full time. I do have a full time job, um, with big boy responsibilities in, in finance and budget. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, who the hell? yeah, you know, I'm not going to support three children on a podcast for crap's sake. But uh, anyway, so we start talking and, and he says, he says, OK, I just want you to know that we're we've been reading your website and we really like it. And I was like, no one has ever <laughs> fucking said that from the Sarte de Quebec. I heard that Montreal police were using it. I didn't know they were. But, you know, but he's talking and he's like, I just, he's like, I know it's really, really good. Um, but can I, you know, you know, he's tippy toeing around me, you know, like, a, you know, he doesn't want to enrage the bull in the China shop. And he says, but if I could make, you know, one suggestion, could you not go into the details of, of the autopsy? You know, because and I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. You know, these... You know, sometimes there's holdbacks and things we don't want an offender to know. And he and I said, uh, I said, well, you know, there are a couple of things on that. I said, Sylvain, I don't, to my knowledge, I've never, with the exception of my sisters, I've never posted an autopsy report in full um, online. Um, I've talked about some details in them, but I've never, you know, I've never put it online. And, um, and I said, the other thing is... Uh, I said, Sylvain, what would you do in my position? Uh, you guys waited 40 years to do anything about these cases. Uh, you know, I, I certainly am sensitive to the fact that if you disclose too much information, um, you leave the law enforcement no means by, by which to solve the crime. However, um, in light of this and the fact that after 40 years, I feel that the majority of these cases can't be solved, um, that you should just go forth and do better in the future that, you know, in, in that light, it was more important for the important for the information to be exposed and, and dispersed to people to, to know that this happened rather than to be thinking about compromising everything and going back to the idea that in, in, in these matters, we keep everything in a in a black box, and we you know we we keep it in the dark, and so no one ever knows that Carol Dupont existed or Diantibo existed, which really uh, you didn't. Um, you know, three weeks ago, had you Googled Carol Dupont, you would have found nothing. Uh, Diantibo, you would have found very very little. Um, so what would you do in this case? Which he, he, he was understanding of. And I, and I said, is there anything out there currently that you feel I should take down? And he said, no, you can keep it all. He, he did throw a bone in saying, um, uh, you know, he said, if, if, if it's been published, we don't have a problem. I, like I thought, I, I talked about photos. I said, um, I said, you know, Sylvain, I no longer show the crime scene photos. And he said, he said, actually, we're okay with, <laughs> we're okay with that. Um, 
he said because at one time they were published in in Allo Police, so that, that that's not so much the issue, but the the issue is more with something more confidential, the autopsy report. I mean, okay, okay, but I would argue, you know, if I have the means to contact the National Library in Quebec in order to get a public document, somebody who wanted to um, claim a victim as one of their trophies and, you know, confess or false confession or something would also have the means to contact the National Library in, in Montreal and get the same information. So I'm, I don't really know what we're talking about, but nevertheless, that is uh, an explanation to to kind of transition to the next thing, which is this. The next thing he wanted to talk about specifically was, was the case of Debbie Buck. And <clears throat> I can't tell you what our conversation was. All I can tell you is this. I knew something about the Debbie Buck case that he didn't know, they didn't know, and they wanted that information quite desperately, um, which I gave to them, um, and they were they were very very happy with that. I mean, you know, I said to them, "Do you want to hear my theory?" I started going into it. You know, it wasn't a drug bust; it was it was Waterman, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Okay, we know all that. <laughs> it's like he didn't he didn't want he didn't want my my theories. Fair enough. Um, but there is something specific he wanted, um, and um, to kind of stitch that, what I'll say is uh, Debbie's case is not currently on the Sarté de Quebec's cold case uh, website, but um, in light of our discussions with the Sarté de Quebec, I expect it will be up there in uh, a matter of a matter of weeks. So in light of my conversation with Sylvain, with the SQ, I am not going to go into details of the autopsy. Um, I rather cheekily, of course, at the beginning of the podcast, I read uh, a laundry list of jewelry in the beginning of the report, but I'm not going to go into the other details uh, except to say a few things about what is commonly known. She was shot in the head. She did have branches inserted in her vagina. Uh, it appeared she had been beaten around the head. Uh, it appeared she might have been strangled. Uh, at the crime scene, she was found on her back, as I said, with the scarves around her neck and her clothing uh, strewn around the field um, where, uh, where she was found. Quite a chaotic um, crime, crime scene. Uh, but but what I will say to you is, um, you know, when I when I do give details of um, of an autopsy or something like that, um, I don't disclose everything, and oftentimes um, I de- deliberately get it wrong. I'll I'll put something wrong if you know if something was found on the right, I'll say the left. If something was blue, I'll say it was red, and that's deliberately to not disclose too much and to create some confusion because it's true you do want holdbacks in in a lot of these matters so i'll give a general indication of things um you know in the case of menon Zubay, where we had a coroner's report that specifically said um, um possibility of sexual assault i disclosed that but that's because that is um after all this time after 40 years 
to leave the public thinking that this was a hit and run is just irresponsible. So that's the reason that in, in that matter, I, I, dis, I disclose that. Getting, um, you know, back to the case and uh, Bobby Waterman, um, I, I would think based on the circumstances and, and what is known about him having a, a violent temper, his past, the fact that he beat and ch- choked Debbie, prior um to her eventually being found dead i would consider him a suspect i would i would say that bobby waterman quite possibly murdered debbie buck or he and made it look like a drug you know bust um or he had somebody murder debbie buck and with the with the same with the same intention um and and i i base that on the level of violence on on the body and and the circumstances that's what i i put on that and there's there's one other reason i would bring that up and it's this um in looking at the documents and this is this is well known uh debbie at the time was living in uh, ville saint laurent also sometimes known as cartierville now she was living um on uh, uh, rue uh, la chapelle and her mother at the time was living on Rue Grenet. And if you've been following along all this time, why that might sound familiar to you. And this is the why. Why? If you think back to the September 77 murder of Catherine Hawks. Now, Catherine's murder occurred almost less than one year after Debbie's. And if you recall, in, in, in that case, Catherine Hawks was found in the bushes uh, next to the CN rail station in Val Royale, which is right in the area of Cartierville. And if you recall, um, uh, and Hawks was found on her back, part of her clothing on her, the top portion of her uh, clothing beaten, raped, strangled, um, And if you recall, someone phoned in um, to say that the body was there and he referenced that she's near Rue Grenet. Rue Grenet. And I say this because uh, Le Chapelle is within blocks of where Catherine Hawks lived. Where, where, uh, Where Debbie's mom lived is one block away from where um, Hawks lived on Ranger Street. So they were living in in the same area. Uh, two murders in the same proximity. The, and the other thing I will draw your attention to is, so Robert Waterman was a lifetime employee of the CN Rail Station, or the CN um, Railroad. Hawks was found at the CN Rail Station. Uh, that may be coincidental. That may be circumstantial. But it, I think it's I think it's worth noting. It's equally worth noting um, that um, in in the nineties, uh, Marie-Ève La Rivière was was found abandoned next to a rail yard. So, um, I mean, I don't think there's a connection because of um, foreign object insertion between. Um, Debbie Buck and Diane Thibault. I mean, we know Thibault was most likely murdered by uh, Turcotte. I don't think, 
you know, Turcotte had anything to do with uh, Debbie Buck, uh, obviously. Um, nor do I think Waterman had anything to do with Thibault. But um, these are just, um, you know, some things to consider when when looking um, uh, at at this case of Debbie Buck specifically and the broader picture of everything we've been discussing for the, discussing for the last 60 podcasts. Loose ends. I'll post some photos from the case file of Debbie Buck on my website, theresalore.com. Not of the body, of course, out of respect for the family, but certainly of, there's some, some fascinating photos of, um, uh, of the, the investigators working the crime scene. It gives you a real feel what that field in Maribel felt like um, in 1976. Interesting, I, I forgot this part, but when I was talking to Sylvain Bergerin of the uh, Sarté de Québec, we, we were talking about just that aspect, and he said, you know, you, you, he said in your podcast or on your website, what you can do, you know, you can sort of just say, you know, I have these things, but um, uh, I'm not going to show these things. Uh, if you have a need uh, professionally or whatever, or because you know some information, if you have a need to see these things, you know, you can say, John, you can say, contact me or contact the Sarté de Québec. And then he said, you know, because uh, he goes, we're all in this together, John. We want to work together with you. <laughs> There's a new one on me. Uh, I've never gone that far before. But, uh, oh, well, maybe it's a new day. Uh, I'll accept that. Uh, since we're kind of... Uh, at the end of this and stitching things together, you know, I was, I was almost going to do this as a separate episode, but there's just not enough information to do it. But uh, I've been sitting on this for a while and probably it's the time to do it. So if we're bridging between the early 70s into the Catherine Hawks case, I'd like to bridge something else here. And that's to give something of an update to the April 1977 murder of Jocelyn Hull. Now, recall, Hull was a nursing student who um, was spending a month in Montreal training, I think, on cardiology. She was out uh, one evening, I believe a Saturday evening, partying with friends. She was at a, a well-known, like, Oktoberfest uh, bar called um, the Old Munich, uh, Vieille Munich, she leaves the the old Munich. She's kind of lagging behind her friends. Um, she's on her way to La Calache, which is just up the street from Dorchester on and uh, Saint uh, Saint Catherine Street. She's seen some say in the company of two men. La Calache was at that time a well known strip bar. She she disappears. She never makes it apparently, or no one ever sees her make it to La Calache. She's found days later, um, her body uh, abandoned in a field, uh, in, excuse me, in the woods in Saint-Calixte, which is a very remote community uh, north of, of Montreal. Her murder's never been uh, solved. Now, in these loose ends, when I'm doing research, you find little bits and pieces of things, and you're you're not quite sure what they are but one of the things i found was that 
that um, in the fall of 1977, uh, the skeletal remains of two young women were found in the woods in uh, Saint Calixte. Um, and um, for reasons unknown to me, so the, in a September 29th, 1977, the press article, um, when they found the bodies, they, 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 apparently they're found in the woods lying next to each other. And uh, the Sartre de Quebec um, investigators were working on a conclusion that this was a suicide pact. <laughs> now, uh, they are later identified as 21-year-old uh, Francine Louisel and 18-year-old Suzanne Moreau. Um, one of them lived uh, on the island of Laval. The other one lived uh, in the... Uh, East End of Montreal, and both of them worked as strippers, as exotic dancers. Um, we don't know exactly where, but if we we said earlier, you know, when you're in this industry, um, you tend to do the rounds, right? You 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 may be uh, at, at in in Saint Therese where Carol uh, Dupont danced. And then you're up in Saint Jerome, and then you come over to Sorel, you come south into Sherbrooke, uh, and then you know home to one of the clubs in Montreal. Now, and I don't think I need to remind you that the the Kalash is where Hool was headed, and in the woods in Saint Calix is where Hool was found, and. Uh, how close were they found? Uh, the, the roads are called Range. One was found on Range 5, um, and Range 5 turns into Range 4, which is where Hool was found, the other two on. So in close proximity. Now, so they're found in September, but the coroner... Uh, was able to determine that the bodies had been in that area because of the skeletal state of them from at least June of 1977. So we close the gap. Hool found in April of 77. I would suggest to you that given this extreme improbable coincidence that on her way to La Calache, Hool fell into the company, uh, was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and fell into the company of um, th this th this underworld, this this uh, um, this aspect of social deviance in, in Montreal. Um, the the same the same environment that uh, Carol Dupont fell under um, from the episode that we we started who at the wrong place at the wrong time some guys uh, along the street who you know could have been pimps or drug runners or working at the, the Kalash uh, in charge of strippers 
saw her very attractive young woman. You know, hey, baby, you wanted this, you wanted that. And something went very, very wrong. And she wound up dead in the forest of Saint Calixt. That's it. That's the podcast for this this week. If you uh, if you like the work, if you like listening to uh, the episodes, um, please uh, ra- rate us high on wherever you listen to it: Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, whatever your listening pleasure is. You can follow us on uh, social media on Twitter. I'm at Justice Guy at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y and there's also a specific uh, Twitter handle for the podcast itself at TeresaLore.com at T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E Follow us on uh, Facebook it's at Teresa Lore the podcast you can search and, and find us there we always provide all kinds of supplemental uh, material to the podcast to each to, to each episode if you choose to follow us on social media. As I say, there's the, the website um, TeresaLore.com and I will, as always, post uh, uh, information related to everything we talked about in this episode. That's it for this week. My name's John Allure. This has been Who Killed Teresa. Have yourselves a great, great day. There's a light in In the woods, in the valley, there's a thought in the head of a man. Who carries his dreams like the cards slung on his shoulder? Met again with a life in her hands, and we lay it together on the summer day sands. I gave her my ring, told the lady be good, and we made the truth together. Smiled through her fingers and ran the dust through her hands. The hourglass of reason on the summer day.
Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, The Global Phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS.